Well, hello there. My name is Andy. I'm the Director of Worship and Creative Arts here at Compass Community Church. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. This week in our I Am series, we're going to dive in deeper into the Jesus' words when he says, I am the true vine. So without further ado, let's join in with Jay as he shares from the Gospel of John. Nature is awesome. Hey, have you ever heard of the great vine of Hampton Court in London, England? I did not even know this thing existed, but it's incredible. Not only is this the oldest, but it is also the largest single vine in the world. Okay, this is one vine. It started as a single little cutting that was put in the ground in 1769, making it 253 years old. I can't even keep a plant alive for a month. Okay, to put it into perspective for you, this vine was planted when King George III was on the throne. And Mozart had the number one song on the charts. Queen Victoria ate grapes from this thing. The grapevine began to flourish almost immediately. And they actually had to just keep building a bigger and bigger greenhouse underneath it to support it. And now, get this, this single vine now measures four meters around the base and its longest branch is 120 feet long. That is a big vine, my friends. It produces about 600 pounds of grapes each season. So let me do the math. Over 253 years, this single vine has produced over 152,000 pounds of grapes. That's the equivalent of about 12 adult elephants. No joke. Okay, and the quality of these grapes has become legendary throughout history. Where once they were reserved for only royalty, because of their abundance, because there were so many grapes, they've since been made available to the public. Okay, the fruit from this vine now benefits everyone. Now, with all due respect to this incredible natural phenomenon called the grapevine, there is a greater vine that is supernatural in origin. And the fruit that it produces changes hearts, transforms minds, and rescues people from spiritual death. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 15 with me. Okay, John 15. Now in our series, we've been considering the I am statements made by Jesus in the gospel of John. And today we're looking at a statement that Jesus makes in John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine. Okay, I am the true vine. And now the reason that I use the example of this grapevine in London is because this is most assuredly the type of vine Jesus is referencing here in the text. Okay, Old Testament and New Testament allusions make it pretty clear that this was a grapevine Jesus is talking about. A grapevine is a common metaphor for Israel throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the grapevine is mentioned more than any other type of plant in the entire Bible. Okay, it would be like using corn for a reference in Nebraska or potatoes in PEI. Jesus constantly used everyday familiar illustrations. 
And so his listeners could like easily find themselves in it. Throughout this letter by John, we find these incredible I am statements made by Jesus. And they're here for a reason. They're not included randomly. This is not like a haphazard thing. Listen, make no mistake. John had an agenda when he included these I am statements in his letter. Okay, he didn't just write a letter as a historical document or to tell an interesting story, although they are both. He was bursting with purpose when he wrote this letter. And John doesn't hide his agenda. He makes it actually super clear in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Listen to his reason for writing this letter. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, okay, here's the reason that the gospel of John exists. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John recorded these I am statements to his largely Jewish audience for a purpose, And that purpose, it extends to us the purpose that we would believe that Jesus actually is these things that he claims about himself, that by believing that, we would find life in his name. John is like, here's what what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put it all out there for you. I'm not going to sugarcoat what Jesus said and did. I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to take like some kind of politically correct approach. I'm going to lay out all the miracles that Jesus performed, all the words that Jesus said, all the bold, audacious claims that Jesus made. I am that I am God. I am the bread of life. I'm the only one that can satisfy the hunger inside of you. I am the light of the world. You will walk in spiritual darkness. You will be blind without me. And I am the way and the truth, the life. No other way to God. One road and I'm it. (laughs) John is like, those are the facts. Here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus said. The evidence is in front of you. Now you can believe it or not. But the ball is firmly in your court. And I'm not going to play you. I don't have ulterior motives. Let me be clear. I'm writing that you may believe in these things about Jesus and by doing so find life. This is my agenda. That you make a decision. Jesus is I am or he is not I am. And I say all this as we look at today's I am statement because I just want to be clear about the author's intention for us. John didn't read, write what we're about to read today for us to say, oh, that's nice or that's interesting. Not his purpose. John writes this that we might hang our very lives on it. This I am statement exists today for us for a specific reason so that through it we would believe On it, we would act, and through it, we would find life. That's John's agenda for us today. 
Okay, and let me give some context before we read it. It matters when Jesus said these words. It's a part of his last recorded conversation with his disciples. Okay, Jesus is looking over a cliff as he says these words, and it looks dark. In a matter of hours, he's going to be arrested and tried and crucified. And the life of his friends, it's going to be altered forever. These are words of great importance, words Jesus obviously feels he must share before his death. These are words that reveal his deep love for his friends. These are final words, last words. So let's read these words. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. Wow, those are are some final words. And listen, they are steeped in deep importance for us. And so I I just want to pull out some crucial truths from what Jesus said to his disciples around this I am statement, I am the true vine. Firstly, there are false vines. Okay, it's important to highlight what Jesus did not say. He did not say, I am the vine, opposed to what he did say, I am the true vine. And so if Jesus is the true vine, it stands to reason that there are vines that are not true. False vines. You know, the the Greek word here for true is really interesting. It's alethinos. 
And alethinos is a word that has three primary definitions or meanings. Alethinos, that which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature. Alethinos, opposite to what is fictitious, counterfeit, imaginary, simulated, pretended. Alethinos, opposite to what is imperfect, defective, frail, or uncertain. So here's what Jesus is saying when he calls himself the true vine, the Alethinos vine. Don't miss this. He's saying, I don't just have the name and the resemblance of the vine. It's in my very nature. But there are vines, there are things you can attach your life to, to feed from that are counterfeit, imaginary, simulated, pretend, imperfect, defective, frail, and uncertain. There are false vines. Okay, in this metaphor, stick with me, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, right? That's what we just read. And there are three things that a branch receives from its vine. It gets its identity from the vine, right? I'm, I'm a branch, I'm connected to a grapevine, That's who I am. I grow grapes. (laughs) It gets its purpose. Okay? I'm connected to a grapevine for a reason, for a purpose to produce fruit, grapes. And it gets its sustenance, the source of its energy that it needs to thrive, like water and nutrients. That comes from my vine. A vine produces provides its branches with identity and purpose and sustenance. In essence, Jesus is saying there are counterfeit, pretend, imperfect, frail, and uncertain vines that you can attach to as your supply of identity and purpose and sustenance. Or there is him. See, my money is a false vine. There's nothing wrong with money. It comes in pretty handy sometimes. But if I look to it as the primary source of my identity, purpose, or sustenance, I will wither and die. My career, what, what I do is a false vine. Careers are great. I love mine. But if I make it the primary source of my identity, purpose, or sustenance, I will wither and die. The system in which we live can be a false vine. You know, our worldly systems can be incredibly beneficial, but if we look to them as the source of our identity, purpose, and sustenance, we will wither and die. People can be false vines. We need people. We love people. But if we rely on another person as a source of our identity, purpose, and sustenance, we will wither and die. Ultimately, They are frail. Our money, career, the system, even people, good things, but good things that can be gone tomorrow. They are imperfect. They are uncertain. And we are not to attach our hearts or our lives or our futures to them. Jesus said, no, I, I am the true vine. Come to me to find your identity. You are a child of the most high God. Come to me to discover your purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Come to me as the source of your sustenance. I will provide you with everything you need and I'll give you the Holy Spirit as the source of your energy and the nutrients that you need spiritually so you can thrive. 
You know, I think these are just crucial questions to ask ourselves. If I lost my money tomorrow, would I still feel confident knowing that Jesus is actually the source of my provision, my vine, and not my bank statement? If my job were gone tomorrow, could I still walk with my head high because my purpose and my identity are in Christ, not what I do I am who Jesus says I am. I'm a chosen child of God who is loved, and that's more than enough. If the world's kingdoms were to crumble tomorrow, would I still be at peace knowing that my life is secure because I belong to an unshakable kingdom and my feet are firmly planted there? My citizenship is in heaven. I'm connected to the true vine. You know, as Jesus speaks these words to his disciples, man, he knows their world is about to fall apart. It's about to fall apart. He would be arrested, tried, and crucified, and he'd be leaving them. They would be misunderstood, hated, and persecuted. And whatever vine that they they placed their faith in, their lives in, whatever they connected to, it would determine if they would thrive or wither. There are false vines. But there's a true vine that leads to life. Okay, the next important thing I want to pull from the text, there is good fruit in you. There is good fruit inside of you. You know, we're entering this season, right, when many of us will be planting gardens soon. Man, I hope we're entering that season soon. We're going to be placing seeds into soil or plants into soil, and we're going to wait until they grow and hopefully produce lots of amazing fruits or vegetables. Okay, but here's what we never have to do in gardening season. We never have to tell a seed or a plant to do what it was created to do. We never have to put a seed into the soil and say, okay, little seed, here's what I need you to do. You're going to need to germinate, and then after that, I need you to grow into a plant, and after that, I need that plant to to produce green beans. Can you do that? Got it? We never have to place a tomato seed into the ground and explain to it the process of growing tomatoes. It's just what it's made to do. It's in its DNA. With the potential to produce beautiful fruit, meaningful, important, beautiful fruit is already in you. God placed it there with a purpose that you might bear fruit. It's in your DNA You know, since we are created in God's image, we are to be fruitful and creative. You know, right after he created us, it says in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, increase in number. You know, God could have created everything imaginable and filled the earth with himself, but he chose to create humanity, us, to work alongside of him to actualize what he wants to do in the world. Author Trip Prince writes, throughout the Bible, God's people, Israel, are often referred to as a vineyard. 
This image can be found both in the Old Testament and New Testaments where the consistent message linked to this image is that healthy vineyards bear fruit. When a vineyard is true to its design and purpose, it overflows with life and fruitful production. And conversely, when they fail to bear fruit, they have rejected their purpose, their mission, and their design. Seven times in this short 17-verse discourse that we read, Jesus talks about us, you and I, bearing fruit. It's almost like it's an expectation. In verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why did you choose and appoint me, Jesus? So that you might go and bear fruit. You know, one of the major application points in the lesson that Jesus was giving in this text, of all of them, this one is overwhelmingly simple. Your purpose is to bear fruit. To leave a mark of some kind. To make a difference. To live with meaning and purpose. And to impact the world that God, with something that God has uniquely placed inside of you and equipped you for. To grow fruit. You know, God places the potential for growing tomatoes in a tomato seed, and he's placed in each one of us the potential for growing that which he wants to do to us, through us, what he's calling us to do, the seed of his spirit. Paul says it like this in the book of Ephesians, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. How incredible is that? Okay, let that melt away any sense of lack of purpose or lack of potential. Let me rephrase. God calls you a masterpiece. Let that sink in. You probably didn't wake up this morning, look in the mirror and say, what a masterpiece. But that's how God sees you. He's created you for some specific things and he calls them good things. And he planned these good things for you to do before you breathed your first breath. You were made to bear fruit. God, of course, is the gardener in John 15. He is the one who tends and prunes so we can produce this good fruit. We are his workmanship. Make no mistake. But God has placed in you holy potential to produce really good fruit. But this, this is crucial as we consider fruit production in our lives. When Jesus said he called us to bear fruit... It, it, it's, it's not, he's saying, it's not a threat. It's not a heavy burden. You better bear fruit. What if I don't bear enough fruit? What if it's not good enough? No, Jesus is offering us something so much better. Jesus offers us a loving call to walk with him and an invitation to allow him to work through us. Wow. You know, in, in nature, we see the potential of a single seed, Right? Something of incredible significance has been infused into, into the DNA of a small seed. It's the point Jesus was making when he talked about the potential of a mustard seed, the smallest seed, the tiniest seed, but man, can it grow into something significant. You know, a single seed can produce an orchard. <laughs> 
And God has placed the seed of his spirit into every believer, and that automatically makes you a masterpiece bursting with holy potential. Okay, that God-given potential, it might feel dormant inside of you. You might be like, I'm not aware of any good things that God's planned for me to do, but it is worth waiting patiently for God to reveal it and for you to discover it. There is something unique that God has gifted and equipped you for, and you can depend on the Holy Spirit to help you find it and act on it. Man, the psalmist saw it. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of the Lord. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no wickedness in him. It's like the psalmist saw the true vine. There is fruit in you. And it's good. The fruit of love and justice and truth and mercy and kindness and patience and faithfulness and joy. Our Father is the gardener. He will tend to you. The Spirit is the seed who empowers you to do it. And the I am the vine. Jesus chose you so you would go and bear fruit. And I hope that gets you excited today. I'm excited. So how how do we do it? Jesus would have called us to bear God-ordained, Holy Spirit-infused fruit without telling us how. The secret to fruit production is remaining. When Jesus said he called us to bear fruit, it's, it's not a threat or a heavy burden, right? It's his call to walk with him. And Jesus doesn't make the art of fruit bearing a mystery. He's he's super clear. It's right here in the text. 11 times in 17 verses, Jesus uses the word remain or abide maybe in your Bible. Okay, the actual Greek word is meno. Meno, which simply means to stay, to not leave. So how do we meno or remain, abide in Jesus, the great and true vine? Jesus doesn't leave that a mystery. He tells us the art of meno. First part of verse 10, obedience to Jesus if you keep my commands. See, remaining involves our response to the teachings of Jesus. Paul echoes this idea in Colossians 3.16 where he writes, let the word of Christ, the words of Jesus, dwell in you richly. We can only stay connected to the vine by allowing the words of Jesus to actually change the way we live. You know, I love this promise from Jesus. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love you will stay connected to the vine. That's awesome. See, the words of Jesus aren't just words. They are truth and they are life. When we listen to what Jesus says and when what he says directs our will, that means we do it, (laughs) even when we might not understand it. And when what he says begins to transform our affections, 
the desires of Jesus' heart actually become the desires of our hearts, look out. Like, just look out. There's no power on earth that could prevent that fruit from growing. You will be changed. Those around you will be changed. And the world can be changed if you keep my commands, if you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Next, in the art of meno, embrace friendship with Jesus. Look at verses 14 and 15. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. You know, so, so much of our modern theology is based around words like sin and atonement and salvation. Hugely important words. But the theology of friendship, it just it doesn't get a lot of play. It should. You know, friendship can sometimes seem like a secular word or maybe one that doesn't carry a lot of theological weight, but nothing could be further from the truth. Okay, the New Testament word friend, philos, actually comes from the, the root word for love, and God is love. When Jesus uses the word here, I no longer call you servants, I now call you friends, his disciples would have been blown away, overwhelmed with the weight of that word, friendship with Jesus. See, for for Jesus, friendship is the ultimate relationship with God. It's as intimate of a word as he could have chosen. And you have gained friendship with your creator whose greatest desire is to simply spend time with you. Jesus, the I am, he loves to hang out with you. He wants to share the secrets of his heart with you. He wants to listen to you describe every detail, every struggle, every dream, every victory, him. You know, if we view Jesus as distant or tyrannical, unapproachable, we will remain servants. And you won't remain. Menno will be impossible, but he wants to be your friend. And once you've discovered authentic friendship with Jesus, oh, you'll remain. Won't be an issue. In fact, you'll never leave. He's that good of a friend. Okay, and lastly, the third art of meno, of remaining, the last verse of the text, love each other. Right? Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. What a way to end this conversation. See, we can't actually remain with Jesus unless we remain with each other. We can't stay connected to the vine and be disconnected from each other. And we just haven't done a great job with that lately. You know, with, with everything happening in our world these past few years, man, our world has become a very, very divisive and unloving place. You see, the devil knows this truth, man, and there's nothing he fears more 
than for us to have a deep, abiding, connected relationship with Jesus and, and with one another. Because he knows that will produce lasting kingdom fruit. You know, there's a truth that in many ways we've forgotten and it's causing all kinds of damage. We can disagree with someone and still love them. Still abide with them. Stay connected with them. In fact, Jesus commanded us to. This one's not optional. It's not a coincidence that this is included in a passage on bearing fruit. We'll never experience the full potential of the fruit that God wants to produce through our lives if there are places of unforgiveness and hate and unloving attitudes running through our hearts. Don't let that hold you back. Do not. What steps can you take today to deal with broken relationships? Are you attaching your hopes to and your confidence in any false vines other than the true vine? Are there other things that you're placing your confidence in? Are you able to believe that you, I'm talking to you, were created to bear fruit? Incredible, life-changing, world-altering, kingdom-building, supernatural, God-inspired, Holy Spirit fruit. He calls you a masterpiece. And can you learn to remain? Allowing the words of Jesus to change the way you live. Allowing friendship with Jesus to change the way you relate to him. And allowing the call of Jesus to love other people, to be what guides you. The vine will change your life. The vine will change your life and the fruit that you produce can change the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your words spoken to us. What a gift. Holy Spirit, take these words of Jesus. Show, show us how to apply them to our lives and give us faith to trust and believe you for supernatural results. God, we ask these things in the name of our I am, the great vine king, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Join us next week for our Palm Sunday message on the words of Jesus when he states, I am the gate. We're also preparing for Holy Week here at Compass, and you can join us at our Orangeville site on Palm Sunday evening for a night of worship and prayer. Our Good Friday services here at Orangeville at 9-11. We're also providing that online at 10 a.m. And our Easter Sunday services here at Orangeville and our Grand Valley site. You can find out all the information that you need regarding all these services on our website. Thank you so much for joining. We'll see you again next week.